You're listening to The Extra Real with Jerry Brown and Colm Ryan for a look at the bigger picture of film. With films from around the world. Through the decades. From movies you know and love. To movies you need to discover. This week on the show we're talking about Fellini's Knights of Cabiria. Do you want to hit us with the plot synopsis? Yeah, it's a pretty simple plot really. Um... It's a, it's a bit of a, a resilient prostitute who struggles to find love and happiness in the streets of Rome. Over the course of this episode, we're going to be talking about things like the context behind the film. We're going to be talking about Julietta Messina and her performance. And we're going to be talking about some key scenes. Definitely. And so let's just contextualize it for ourselves what's going on in Italy at this time. So they're experiencing the economic miracle. The Marshall Plan has kicked into gear. Um, there are a lot of really, really interesting things happening when it comes to Italian industry, when it comes to Italian fashion houses. There is a re- redevelopment of the city, um, which had been taking place, I suppose, since Mussolini's time when a lot of the the poorer people were moved out into the suburbs, the Bulgati. And you have an influx of people from the south of Italy moving to the north because there are jobs, because of all the industrialization that's going on. And that's reflected very much in the character of Oscar that we'll talk about later. Oscar the Bastard, I'm going to call him. <laughs> and, um, and also, like, you have things that may or may not have directly impacted on the, the story. But, like, you know, the, the, the film opens with a drowning sequence. So there was a real-life case, um, the Montesi scandal in 1953, in which a young girl was found drowned. And a lot of high-profile people were implicated, and though they were subsequently exonerated, um, and the case remains unsolved, it's something that Fellini and Co would have known about. With the with Italian cinema, we're starting to move away from pure neorealism. The peplum epic fad has started. You've got these co-productions with Americans, uh, American studios. So you've got like. American directors coming over and essentially having an easy ride of it while the, the Italian second unit pretty much make the rest of the film for them. Plot-wise, we've kind of mentioned that it's pretty sparse, yet what is there is pretty fluid. What is there is very interesting. And uh, you have uh, Julietta Messina um, as, as Cabiria. And it's an extraordinary performance. At first, when I started watching it, I, didn't, I wasn't sure was I going to get into it because it's quite a broad performance and it's quite... She's probably quite a comedic actress in the sense she's great with her eyes. Um, you know, she's, I think, about 36 years old when this film's made. So she's not like, you know, um, your typical leading actress, I guess. Um, and she's Fellini's wife. We forgot to mention that. And she's Fellini's wife, yeah. Um, but um, it's an excellent performance because it, there's just so much humanity going on here. Like, there's so much. And she acts like her facial expressions, the way her eyes move. They're amazing. And this character, at times, she's very unlikable, you know? At, you mentioned the drowning scene at start, and she's saved by these kind of regular townspeople. And she doesn't want to tank them at all. She's just like, oh, this guy's robbed my purse. Leave me go, kind of thing. And it's really funny. It's like, what? Yeah. But it's it sets the tone for the rest of the, the, rest of the film very well. I she's think. a very strange character in that sense, isn't she? Because she's not a bit nice to anyone. But no. yes, you kind of root for her. Definitely. And because you recognise that 
she is in probably a position she really doesn't want to be in, but she pushes against it anyway, you know? Yeah. And she's so resilient. She is such, like, most of the men in this film are terrible to her. But she's, still, she defies a lot of them, you know? But she's looking for love at the same time. She's looking for love, but and that's what kind of drives her into different scenarios, which may or not... Different scenarios which really kind of aren't great for her at all, you know, whether it's the one at the start or the one at the end. And um, those bookended sequences by the, the river are not, <laughs> you know, they're pretty much of her own making as well, like. So, yeah, very much so. Very you know, so. despite her hopes and dreams, she's quite foolish at times. No, definitely, definitely. And she's a character like Al. Well, her kind of her kind of mantra throughout the film is, "I have everything I need. I have my own house, but a house is extremely modest, kind of in the middle of nowhere." Uh, but she's yeah, I, it's just very kind of an it's very I don't know. I feel like it's kind of performance. I'm still going to be thinking about it. And I think this is the real power of Fellini films, and that after you watch them, sometimes you're like, "I'm not sure if that worked for me or not," but then. Five or six years later, images or scenes are still playing in your head, you know? Yeah. And I think as the film goes along, you really start to connect with her more. And there are aspects of the performance which aren't very standard, but they seem to draw you in. And as as we, I think we've mentioned it, that there are, she feels very Chaplin-esque. And that was picked up on by, I think, French critics at the time or the French audiences described her as being like Charlot, which is like Chaplin. And, and I think Chap- Chaplin himself absolutely loved the performance. Well, yeah. high praise, high praise. Yeah. And like for me, my favorite scenes with her in the film are like the nightclub scene. The oh, I really like the Sackman scene as well because the end of that's really cool. Um, and the scene where she's finally leaving her house to go off with Oscar and she's hugging her friend and the family that she's selling it to are waiting to go in. But it's kind of a great scene in the sense of like she's she's given out about them to Wanda, but as soon as she actually sees the people outside, you can see that she's kind of happy that she's giving giving someone a place to live. There are some scenes that are, I suppose, typically Fellini esque. Like I love the nightclub scene because it feels like something that you're gonna see in well, you could have seen something like it in Evita Loney and you it's definitely something you'd feel like you'd see in La Dolce Vita or eight and a half. And um it's just a fun scene and the way she dances in that scene is really just, you, you can see like she's a bit um, she's a bit out on her own in that scene like she's not she completely is you know? <laughs> um, and you can see the movie star guy that she's gone off with Amadeo Natsari looks yeah. uh, he doesn't know what to make for but it's kind this of like absolute... that's the best offer he's got all night or his best exactly. option exactly his his is a great performance, I think, actually. Yeah. Um, because obviously he comes across quite surly. He's had a he's had an argument with his uh, kind of fiance at first, and then that's why he picks up Kiberia. But you just you get the sense that oh, this guy's an awful guy. He's just your typical kind of overpaid, over the hill actor kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but then obviously when they when they go back to the house and he talks to Kiberia, and it's a it's a really kind of human scene where they just talk about regular things and it's a that's a beautiful scene and uh yeah he's 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 got a great look as well i love his look the sack man scene let's talk about that for a second so that sequence was cut seven minutes 
like yeah. that's a scene where you find out what her real name is. Yes. At the end of yes. it. So like you'd yeah. be kind of hoping that they I, I don't know where they cut it, but you'd be kind of hoping that, that that part was left in because it's the only time you hear her real name, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's uh, what's that? Maria Chigarelli. Chigarelli. Yeah. Chigarelli. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's strange why it was cut. Uh, apparently the Catholic Church. So of course the Catholic Church. Reason. Yeah. Because they said the Catholic Church have before. We don't want to show this kind of this guy with a sack going into these caves giving food to these poor people. The Catholic Church does that. Yeah. Very bizarre one. Very bizarre one. Um, what's interesting actually about the uh, the actor who plays that is uh, Leah Catozzo, who's the editor of the film. Yeah. But he's also funny to be cut out. <laughs> He's also more interesting because he invented the uh, the CIO Catozo editing machine. That's right. Yeah, because he was he was allergic to acetone, so he had to invent this different kind of machine. But apparently, um, that machine made him millions. Yeah, lucky bugger. And did, did yeah, he get exactly. some sort of Academy Award for it as well? He did, I think. Yeah, in like uh, 1990. 1990, yeah. Had to wait for yeah. it, but anyway, better late than never. Yeah, definitely. But they're still going. That company is still going. Wow, that's mad. So what about um, Rome in this film? Like Rome as a film, we've seen it in, in films like The Great Beauty recently, I guess. Mm. And it's, it, for me personally, I've been there twice. It's one of my favourite cities in the world. Um, but it's nice to see, I guess it's very interesting to see the kind of, the poorer side of it. Yes. As opposed to your Via Benitos and places like that. The Italian tourist board wouldn't exactly be rushing this one out. Definitely not, but um, that's that's the great kind of beauty of Rome and where it's got that kind of balance, you know. Uh, I did love those scenes, like with the kind of the prostitutes and the drug dealers, these kind of characters. They were great scenes because they were. I guess that's where you get a lot of this kind of the, the dialogue was really interesting, and then it's also a story, wasn't it, that they brought in um, Pier Paolo Pasolini's do some of the dialogue. Yeah, of course. Well, if you want, please. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But because he, he just was, but he was really into his kind of dialects and stuff like that as well. So that's where you, I love, I, you know, you can see the characters kind of speak in different dialects. I, I find that really interesting. Um, but yeah, I guess, should we talk about this character of Oscar then? Oscar the Bastard, as I like to call him. Yeah. Oscar the Bastard. So yeah, so be she, true. she meets Oscar at the. Uh... The, at the the magician show and I love the magician sequence actually or the, the hypnotism sequence I thought that really worked and the magician is just yeah. he's devilish especially when he takes off his hat and he's got that pronged hat that looks like devil's horns uh, exactly. and it felt like oh right now we're really pushing into something that we'll see an awful lot more of in Fellini's work and yeah. um, so I, I really like that scene and also it's one of those scenes where um, you know where you've got I suppose an element of the illusion of performance and it's kind of almost contrary to you know the the, the hard facts of reality of what's going on so like you know there's a br- it's almost like a brief moment of respite from all the misery for her sure. where she actually gets to talk about what she really wants and then once that's broken again it's you know she's back to reality and reality initially seems not so bad when she meets Oscar outside. She initially kind of rebukes him, but then they kind of spark up a relationship and you think finally things are starting to click into gear. Or do you? Because, you know, things are going so, so well. 
and you're going yeah. oh no something's coming something's coming <laughs> and uh, so when we finally get to the, the big scene with Oscar at the end you're just like this guy isn't nice at all he's an utter bastard exactly and I was kind of because he, he pays for every meal he seems to offer a house and they're going to fill the store as well uh, when they get married but you just he's kind of such a mystery at the same time yeah like he and says he's he from is, Puglia which is from the south yeah. so again that's kind of feeding into the context of people come from the south coming up uh, to, to the, the industrial centres but yeah he's he's not got a whole pile going well it looks like he's got a lot of things coming together but uh, yes. it, then it transpires not well, I guess when they're in that dining scene towards the end and she kind of just has the money in her hand and suddenly you see his, even even the way he looks, he's wearing sunglasses, he's smoking a cigarette. Yeah. He kind of has a more kind of malevolent look to him. And as, the, as they walk into the woods, he's kind of getting more agitated. He's kind of sweaty looking. He's not as pristine as he was in the earlier scenes. And these are all kind of really small, subtle things, but they're really, really well done, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then as soon as they get to that cliff edge, even though it's a beautiful view, all you think to yourself is starting the film. Is she gonna be drowned? Is she gonna be going into that water again? You know, unfortunately. So the ending, obviously, Oscar takes her money, runs off, similar to the Giorgio character, start taking her money, running away, leaving it worth nothing, um, and she she walks back out of the woods onto this road and she sees these young kids and they're really happy and they're kind of you know wishing upon Sarah and all this kind of stuff and then you know as as one of the kids looks at her and smiles she kind of just looks into the camera and kind of just kind of a slight smile back and it's kind of like this this kind of way of saying that no matter what happens whoever beats me down I'll just keep going I'll find a way although we don't know what's going to happen to her from now you would think from here on in she has lost everything. And it's, it's, it's a real bittersweet. End. It is. I was just going to say, it's really bittersweet. And um, I suppose it's erring towards there is some hope. It's a bit like a Star Wars film in that there is some hope. Always leave the audience with some hope, according to George Lucas. And yeah. Fellini seems to be doing that here, even though the actual reality of her prospects don't look so hot. No, not at all. So that's pretty much it. Fellini's Knights of Cabiria lots to recommend particularly from the, the context of Italian cinema and about Italy at the time it's a great one to watch as a to just to see a performance from Giulietta Messina um, and also um, really really interesting from the point of view of its fluid use of plot well if you're really into Italian cinema of that period I think it's a real great bridge from for Fellini's career anyway from like the neorealism to the kind of more dreamlike aesthetic you find in later films and also, I suppose a lot of people, when they first start watching Fellini, probably will watch Eight and a Half and the Dolce Vita first. Um, and, and this is just before the Dolce Vita, so it's kind of a lovely little kind of run-up to that film. Thank you very much for listening. You can contact the show by emailing to extrareal at gmail.com. Search for the Extra Real Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to the show on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcast from.